In 2012, I had the privilege of hanging out with Christians in Shelahov, Russia. I was a pastor at Faith Christian Community at the time. We were uh, very proud of the fact that God had used us to help them build a church. And they were leveraging that church very well to serve their city of 80,000 people. This past winter, that church building burnt to the ground. I have a short video showing some of that. Prior to the burning. Do we have the flames? It's dramatic. It was a beautiful building, took many years to build, and then it burned. Uh, but the good news is the people of God know that the church is not a building. And so the next week they were in homes. The gospel continues to go forth. God's great plan has not been thwarted in Shelahoff, and we look forward to seeing what he will do. Uh, we had the privilege of giving a couple thousand dollars immediately in the aftermath to uh, help them move forward. And they've got plans already to uh, a smaller, but they've got plans to start another church building. So would you join me in praying for our brothers and sisters in Shelahoff, Russia? Lord, I think of Pastor Sasha and the other church leaders, and you have asked them to bear uh, the weight of this displacement, Lord. They are empowered with your spirit, fully capable to lead your church there in Shelahoff. Lord, encourage them. Give them the peace that passes all understanding, guarding their hearts and minds in Christ. Give them, give them joy. And Lord, may the community see their faith in you and their response and be attracted even more to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're an elementary Student, you are free at this time to head back and learn about Jesus, God's love for you in Jesus Christ. And thank you to all of our teachers who serve our children on our behalf. Uh, the attendance rosters will be passed around. Please let us know that you're here. That helps us be good shepherds of the church. We're especially interested if you go missing. We like to check in and see if there's any way that the church can pray and support you uh, at that time. So we are in a series titled Unimpressed, the Kitty Cat. It just reflects the attitude that our uh, friends often have with the gospel, which surprises us. Seven reasons our friends aren't becoming Christians. Tim Keller says that every society has a set of defeater beliefs. A defeater belief is a belief that if it's true, the gospel can't be true. And so in every society, there are some held beliefs that are obstacles to people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are looking at seven defeater beliefs that are circulating in American culture today that many of our friends believe. And so we want to know what our friends are thinking so that we can talk with them, and hopefully the Lord will sort of shake their uh, confidence in some of these beliefs, and as a result, open their hearts to the gospel, to God's love for them in Jesus. 
We want them to find life to the full, which is only found in a personal relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The seven defeater beliefs that we are addressing in this series are as follows. Number one, Christians are hypocrites. Number two, there cannot be only one way to God. Number three, people must have the freedom to define themselves. Four, people should be free to live as they see fit, as long as they don't harm anyone. Five, the Bible is just another religious text written by humans. Six, if there is a God, he is loving and couldn't possibly send people to hell. Number seven, arguing that someone's beliefs or behaviors are wrong diminishes them. And so this is week five. If you miss any of the sermons, you can catch them online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater app, take the sermon with you on the go. So today we are looking at uh, the Bible and this belief that many have that the Bible is just another religious text written by humans. And the reason this is a defeater belief, the reason this is an obstacle to someone embracing the gospel is that apart from the Bible, we cannot know how to relate to God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we read this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Apart from the Bible, we will not be equipped for every good work. Apart from the Bible, we won't know how to relate to God. We won't know what God has done for us on the cross. We won't know what he wants for us. We won't know the conditions that he has set for relating to him. And so a belief in the Bible is very important to becoming a Christian and to living the Christian life. There's a reason Christians have always been called people of the book. Here is, uh, here is what our website says about the Bible. Uh, we are a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and when James and I stand in the pulpit, we make it our goal to not talk about what we think, but to re-speak the Word of God. That is our goal, to faithfully re-speak the Word of God. So here's what our website says about the Bible. God is a speaking God, who by His Spirit has graciously disclosed Himself in human words. We believe that God has inspired the words preserved in the scriptures, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, which are both record and means of his saving work in the world. It's both a record of what God has done on our behalf, and it is, especially the preaching of the word, it is the means through which people are saved. How shall they hear? How shall they believe unless they hear, and how are they going to hear without a preacher? These writings alone constitute the verbally inspired word of God, which is utterly authoritative and without error in the original writings. Uh, we don't claim that every translation or every copy is without error, but in the original, 
utterly authoritative and without error, complete in its revelation of God's will for salvation. Okay, that means you don't need more than the Bible to know what God wants from you. Sufficient for all that God requires us to believe and do, and final in its authority over every domain of knowledge to which it speaks. We confess that both our finitude and our sinfulness preclude the possibility of knowing God's truth exhaustively. So, because of our limitation, because of the uh, slipperiness of language, nobody can say, I know fully what the Word of God says in all of its particulars. However, but we affirm that enlightened by the Spirit of God, we can know God's revealed truth truly. Uh, We are uh, created in the image of God, given the, the power of language, the Spirit of God resides in us, and so we can read the Bible and know what it is saying, so that we can know what the Bible says truly, and thus uh, believe its promises and obey its commands. The Bible is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it teaches, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, and trusted as God's pledge in all that it promises. As God's people hear, believe, and do the word, they are equipped as disciples of Christ and witnesses to the gospel. So, we have a very high view of Scripture here at Clearwater Church. In fact, the very first, uh, the first ten sermons I preached uh, when we started meeting weekly, I preached ten sermons on why we believe the Bible. And they are online if you're interested. Uh, it was a painstakingly thorough <laughs> explanation. Uh, and some people were wondering, what are you doing? But I was laying the foundation. We believe the word of God. That's what everything we do around here is built on. So feel free to go and uh, check that out. The series was called Text, T-E-X-T. So I was cool. (laughs) So back to our friends. Many of our friends start with the assumption that the Bible is just another uh, religious text written by humans. How do we talk to them about that? Well, I like to ask questions, right? And so uh, the first thing I'd ask is, can you tell me why you believe the Bible's just a, a human book and not the Word of God? And, and when I ask this question, usually I get a combination of, of two answers. Uh, something about, well, the Bible was written by humans, and it contains errors. And so let's deal with uh, those one at a time. First off, the Bible was written by humans, and as a result, I would assume it's, you know, it's a human book. It's true, the Bible was written by humans. Very little of the Bible was actually written by God and handed us to us, you know, Ten Commandments and uh, other direct speech that the Lord gave to the prophets. Uh, so, yes, the Bible was written by humans, but it was inspired by God. In other words, God oversaw the human writers so that the end product is an an accurate account, a faithful account of what God has done on our behalf and his will for us. And that's what 
is meant when it says all scripture is God-breathed. Even though it's written by people, the Bible says God oversaw the process in such that it is, in fact, the word of God. So now to this question of errors, and we'll sit on this for a little bit. You know, the Bible's full of errors. We've all heard that. Uh, I like to ask, uh, what errors in particular are you thinking of? Uh, Very often, they can't think of anything in particular, which I think just sort of underscores the uh, weakness of their argument, but they might very well point to something. And usually, uh, people are thinking about errors in one of four different categories. They might be thinking about uh, scientific errors, and so they'll say, well, the Bible contradicts science. Does it? Well, what do you mean by that? Usually, what they mean is that uh, the biblical account of creation contradicts uh, the theory of evolution. And so they'll point that out. Uh, First thing I like to remind them of is it's the theory of evolution. It's not a fact. It's the best explanation that we have apart from God for the origin of the universe and uh, the origin of complex life. Uh, But it is still a theory, and it is a theory that has uh, a lot of weaknesses to it. Uh, The data supporting evolution, as we'll talk about in a little bit, is not by any means overwhelming. And so I would not grant that. I would say, you know, evolution is a theory. Yes, many believe it because it's the best theory apart from uh, anything supernatural we have to explain the universe. But it's still a theory. The Bible, therefore, isn't contradicting some kind of a scientific fact. Also, I would concede or point out that uh, there are many Christians who believe the Bible and don't think uh, evolution and the Bible are in fact contradictory or mutually exclusive. Uh, Many Christians believe that God employed evolutionary processes to bring about the created world. So I I would maintain that the Bible contradicts no scientific facts. You can't point to anything. I would challenge it. Show me something in the Bible in which there's truly a contradiction between a scientific fact and the Bible. It doesn't exist. Uh, by the way, after Thursday's sermon, Matt Gutterker pointed out something I wanted to share with you. He said, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I think is a strong argument uh, in favor of the Bible is that um, human morality, if If we evolved through the process of natural selection, survival of the fittest, you would expect our morality would celebrate the strong overpowering the weak. You would think that we would celebrate the killing of the weak and the the powerful, you know, stepping on in order to get more powerful. Uh, but, But in fact, you look at human morality and it celebrates equality, compassion, justice. Why is that? He said, to me, that's a a much more in line with the biblical teaching that God has impressed upon us, uh, has has put his um, conscience upon humans. What about history? Your friend might tell you, well, uh, the Bible makes all kinds of uh, historically flawed statements. Uh, It is historically 
inaccurate. I would not grant that. I don't think that is in fact true. Dr. Henry Morris, he says, there exists today not one unquestionable find of archaeology that proves the Bible to be in error at any point. Uh, there is nothing known about history that contradicts the Bible. And it's, it's unfair to say, well, we will believe nothing the Bible says unless it is corroborated by non-biblical evidence. Uh, why? Now, if, if extra-biblical or non-biblical evidence contradicted the Bible, there would be a problem. But that does not exist. There is nothing known about history that contradicts the Bible. In fact, on the flip side, everything that we know about history confirms the Bible. Archaeology continues to make discoveries, and to the degree that they intersect with the Bible, they are confirming the Bible and never contradicting. And to me, I think that's a strong argument in favor of the Bible. Well, your friend might also say, okay, well, the Bible contradicts itself. And if it contradicts itself, then it has errors and cannot be the Word of God. And, and um, something they might point to, this is a popular supposed contradiction. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 7, uh, we are told about the Apostle Paul seeing the risen Lord Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus appears to him, and uh, he sees him, hears him. And in fact, the, um, the light is so bright that Paul goes blind. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 7, we read, The men which journeyed with him, with Paul, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And then in chapter two, 22, verse 9, a few chapters later, we read, uh, it, again recounting this uh, resurrection appearance of Paul, of Jesus to Paul, and they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And so uh, critics, skeptics might point out, aha, in uh, chapter 9, they hear a voice. Chapter 22, they don't hear a voice. The Bible's contradicting itself. First off, I doubt that, that the author of Acts uh, thought he was contradicting himself. But in reality, the answer lies in uh, a knowledge of the Greek language and the difference between the accusative and genitive case. Not that you care, uh, but the genitive case is actually referring to understanding. So the English Standard Version has cleaned this up. And so in 22.9, it says, uh, but did not understand the voice of one. So it's not talking about... Um, not hearing anything, but they didn't understand Jesus. Um, let me refer you to a book. So there's a, the big book of Bible difficulties, uh, written by Norman Geisler, Thomas Howell. So there are people with uh, lots of degrees behind their name uh, who take this very seriously and have studied every supposed contradiction and error in the Bible and deal with it. And if you're one of those people who wants to know Get a book like this. I have not read the entire thing, but I've, I've, every time I come up with a supposed uh, encounter, a supposed contradiction or error, uh, I go look into it. And every single time, I have walked away totally satisfied that there is a plausible explanation for the supposed error in the Bible.
All right, fourth category it is a cultural error, and it goes like this. Your friend might say, listen, as I read the Bible, I encounter things that are morally objectionable. For example, God tells the Israelites to kill every man, woman, and child uh, uh, of the Canaanites. That's just wrong. Or Ephesians chapter 6, we read that slaves are to obey their masters. That's an endorsement of slavery. That is wrong. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. Wow, that's subjugating women. That's wrong. And so the Bible says things that are morally wrong. It can't, therefore, be the word of God. Of course, the first response to that is, uh, why is your value system superior? And uh, it, that might just be the arrogance of the modern uh, mind, thinking, well, if I think it's wrong, then it's wrong. It could be, though, that the Bible isn't really teaching what you think it's teaching. So, for example, in, first, in the first century, slavery was not like the slavery in the 18th century America, which was chattel slavery. You actually owned a person, and that person was viewed as uh, less, less fully human than you. First century slavery was much more like indentured servitude, had the possibility of buying yourself out of it, uh, etc. Um, but really, I think the, the challenge comes down to when facing the Bible, uh, do we or don't we want a relationship with a personal God? Because when you have a relationship with another person, you will be challenged. Other people don't always see things the way we do. And they challenge us. And so if we want a relationship with a personal God, we should expect to be challenged. Our thinking, our behavior, our values. And that's, one of, that's what the Bible does to all of us. See, the Bible, sometimes people say, well, the Bible is just a book of its time. And it reflects the cultural values of ancient man. And yes, there's a lot in there that is good. Um, some of the best thinking of, of ancient man is, is reflected in the Bible, um, but it's a book of its time, and we are, you know, modern men and women, and we should feel the freedom to pick and choose. You know, the Bible was never a book of its time. From the moment it was penned, it was challenging culture. There's never been a culture in which the Bible has lined up fully with it. It always challenges culture because it is the word of God for people and peoples and societies is never fully in line with the will of God and neither is any individual's life. So that every time I read the Bible and I'm a pastor and I've been trying to faithfully follow Christ for many years, my life is challenged. My thinking is challenged. My values are challenged. And so if we want a relationship with a personal God, we must approach the Bible with an attitude that says, uh, I expect God to challenge me, and I want to know his thinking, and I want to know his heart, so that I cannot line up my life with his and be blessed as a result. St. Augustine, uh, back in 400, so people have been um, twisting the Bible from the very beginning. St. Augustine writes, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. And that's idolatry, right? 
creating a God in our image. And make no mistake, when you approach the Bible and say, I'm going to pass judgment on the Bible, and I'll pick and choose what I want, what you're really saying is, I'm going to manufacture the God of my desire and a God in my own image, and that's idolatry. Let me share with you seven reasons to believe the Bible. I take this from uh, Erwin Lutzer. He didn't come up with these things, but he compiled them nicely. And so I want to walk through these. Seven reasons to believe the Bible is God's word. Number one, the Bible claims to be God's word. Now, for many, they say, that's circular reasoning. If I don't believe the Bible, who cares what it says? Well, once you do believe the Bible is the word of God, what it says about itself is significant. And so there's that scripture, all uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is God-breathed. Number two, history confirms the Bible's reliability. Uh, and I studied history in college, and to me the fact that there is nothing known about history that contradicts the Bible, everything that is discovered archaeologically continues to confirm the Bible uh, to me, that is a powerful argument for the Bible. Number three, and we'll sit on this one. Bible prophecies prove its truthfulness. The Bible, uh, over 20% of the Bible is prophetic. A whole lot of the Bible is prophetic. And what is pre- prophetic? It's, it's history told before its time. And, it, and this is not like um, if you go and consult a medium and they give you these very vague statements that could apply to lots of things. Right? The Bible's prophecies are specific, and so you know whether or not they happen. Now, not all of uh, the Bible's prophecies have been fulfilled yet, but many have. So, uh, back in the 1950s, there was a um, guy named Peter Stoner. He was chairman of, de- uh, of the departments of math and astronomy at Pasadena College, and he did some probability studies about Bible prophecy, and he said, he looked at the, the Bible makes many prophecies, I should say the Old Testament, uh, makes many prophecies about the coming Messiah. And he said, he, let me run the probability of one person fulfilling even eight of the messianic prophecies. And he said, the probability is one in ten to the power of seventeen. That's one with seventeen zeros. So he then painted a word picture, and he said, take the state of Texas. Um, we don't, we're not very impressed with that here in Alaska. <laughs> you can div, uh, divide Alaska in half, and Texas is still the third biggest state, right? But for many people down in the lower 48, they're impressed with this. You take Texas, and you um, cover it two feet deep in silver dollars, and on one of the silver dollars, you mark an X, and you put it somewhere, you blindfold someone, you tell them to walk across the state of Texas, and at some point bend down, pick up a silver dollar. The chances that they'll pick up the one with the X, that's the probability that one person would have fulfilled even eight of the uh, Old Testament messianic prophecies. Jesus fulfilled far more than eight. Let me just remind you of some. He would be born in Bethlehem. Check He would be betrayed by someone close to him, check. He would be silent before his accusers, check. People would cast lots for his clothing, check. 
His hands and feet would be pierced, check. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, check. He would be seated at God's right hand, check. To me, fulfilled prophecy is an almost unassailable argument in favor of the Bible's truthfulness. And this became a, a, a much stronger argument in 1947 when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Because prior to 1947, skeptics would argue that Christians had tampered with the Old Testament to make it look like Jesus had fulfilled prophecy. They realized how strong an argument fulfilled prophecy is for the Bible's truthfulness. So the argument was the, the Old Testament was tampered with. And the reason that had some believability is up until 1947, the earliest manuscript that we had for the Old Testament dated from 800 years after Christ. So the argument was, hey, certainly in Western Europe, uh, the church was in control. They had the power. They rewrote the text so that it looked like Jesus had fulfilled all these prophecies. In 1947, there was a, uh, a shepherd near the Dead Sea who found a cave, and in the cave he found uh, these, all these clay pots, and inside the clay pots were um, these scrolls. Every, all, all 13, or I should say 38 of the 39 Old Testament books Portions of them were found. Only Esther was not included. The book of Isaiah, which includes many, if not most, of the Messianic prophecies, uh, the entire manuscript was found. And the Dead Sea Scrolls date from uh, the latest 60 years, uh, A.D. 60, so about 30 years after Christ. Uh, and so they were written by Jews, the Essene community. We know who they were. They had no, this was not a community who had any interest in uh, doctoring the books so that uh, Jesus would be shown to be the Messiah. I have seen the Dead Sea Scrolls myself in Israel. Quite an interesting exhibit. So here's the point. The point is that we know that the Old Testament from the time of Christ said, uh, made the prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. Extremely powerful argument in favor of the Bible's truthfulness. Number four reason to believe the Bible is God's word is that Christ affirmed its authority and truthfulness. And uh, even, even most non-Christians will acknowledge that Jesus was a great man and a great teacher. Luke chapter 24, 25, and 26, Jesus said to his uh, fellow Jews, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So he's telling his fellow Jews, you are foolish not to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Namely, you should be believing the Bible. And he says it's necessary that the Messiah suffer. Why is it necessary? Because it was foretold in the Bible. Fifth reason to believe the Bible is the word of God is that science supports biblical creation. Here you can go on the offense with your friend who thinks the Bible contradicts science. There are three gaps that evolution has never been able to bridge, and these are enormous gaps that show the weakness of the theory of evolution. And the first gap is the gap between nothing and matter. Uh, stuff does not just come from nothing unless God says, let there be light, ex nihilo. 
So I remember as a student at Harvard, I was in an astronomy class with Dr. Robert Kirshner, and I remember him saying, uh, physics can tell us what happened, can kind of back up, back up, tell us the story, but physics breaks down at 10 to the negative 49 seconds. What came before that, we do not know. Maybe it was God. And I thought, yeah, it was. So evolution cannot explain how this came from nothing. Massive gap. Number, uh, second gap is the gap between matter and life. The second law of thermodynamics says that things break down. Things go from order to disorder. They go from co uh, complexity breaks down, not the other way around. And so uh, the whole theory of evolution contradicts the second law of thermodynamics. And there's no way to exp explain that. And third gap is the gap between um, humans and lower creation. Uh, there has never been a missing link found. There, has, there, is, no, um, there, there are, is no, um, what do they call that stuff? No, no monkeys, there are monkeys. <laughs> fossil record, there we go. There is no fossil record showing uh, any, any interspecies change. Microevolution, yes. Macroevolution, no. There's no missing link. So how do we, and that's a massive gap. <clears throat> now, I want to read to you from a current professor at Harvard, Richard Lewontin. He's a uh, evolutionary biologist. And what he says in this, I'm going to quote it here, but what he says is, the data is not what forces us to believe in the theory of evolution. We are committed to naturalistic explanations of the universe. We will not have an explanation that includes the supernatural. We can't let God into our explanation. And as a result, we believe in evolution because it's the, the only theory that we have uh, right now. So listen to what he says. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories. You hear that? The scientific community is tolerating unsubstantiated just-so stories. Because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world. The data is not forcing us, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, right? An apparatus of investigation, a set of concepts that will produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow 
a divine foot in the door. So make no mistake, the Bible does not contradict science. In fact, God is the best explanation for the data. It's just that many of our, uh, many of our unbelieving scientists won't allow God in the equation uh, from the get-go. Sixth reason to believe the Bible is the word of God is that God's people, by his providence, have recognized the canon from the beginning. It's just this simple. Sometimes what you hear people saying is that uh, the books of the Bible did not become the word of God until the Council of Hippo in 393 and the Council of Chalcedon in 455, at which time the the church kind of put its big stamp of approval on certain books and they then became the word of God to the exclusion of other books. And so it's just a man-made category. But that's not the case. The fact of the matter is from the moment these, uh, certainly the New Testament, since the moment the 27 books of the New Testament were penned, God's people recognized them as the word of God, treated them as the word of God. And so uh, those books were circulating from the beginning amongst the churches. Uh, By one generation after the apostles, every single book in the New Testament had been quoted by a a church father as being part of the word of God. Uh, We know this because we do have that record. Uh, And so... The fact that God's people have recognized these books as the word of God from the beginning, as opposed to all other books, is an argument uh, for the Bible being the word of God. And then finally, final reason to believe the Bible is the word of God is it has the power to change lives. And there are countless hundreds of millions of people who will testify to uh, the Bible's um, power in their own Lives. And of course, you have a story that you can tell your friend about how um, you encounter uh, God through the reading of his word and the impact that the word of God has upon your life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And one of the best apologetics you can make is to encourage your friend to read the Bible. Just try it out. Read it. Uh, and I, I often tell people, start with the Gospel of John. Uh, if they start with Genesis and then they get to some of the <laughs> books, they'll bog down. You just tell them, start with the gospel of John. And it is the word, it is sharper, it's living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Spirit of God works through the word of God to open our eyes to spiritual realities. And then uh, my own story is, uh, my life is absolutely shaped by the word of God. And I don't regret a moment of studying the word. I don't regret ever regret obeying the word. It has never led me astray. I don't know how often I thank God. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. I am so thankful 
You have given me a, a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. You haven't just left me to wander around trying to find out for myself through trial and error where abundant life can be found. I just love the Bible. It is awesome. Final talking point is uh, I would ask my, my friend this question. I would say, listen, if there is a personal God who has acted on humans' behalf, don't you think he would want to be known Don't you think he would want us to know what he's done for us? He would want us to know his will. He would want us to know how to relate to him. If you believe in a personal God who cares about you, it is not difficult to imagine that he has revealed himself. And how do you expect him to reveal himself? In a book. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. And frankly, people who doubt the Bible is the word of God, I wonder to what degree is that rooted in a in a belief that God doesn't really care about you enough to want to know you personally. Well, the Bible is the Word of God. It is worth studying. It's worth reading. It's worth memorizing. It's worth talking about. Let me leave you with Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. The Bible has something to say to you and to me today. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God wants to place his hope in our hearts. And he does that in large part through the encouragement of the scriptures. Don't cut yourself off from the word of God. It's the most important voice we should listen to. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for caring enough about us to um, act in time and space on our behalf. Thank you for preserving a record of your deeds and your words for us. Uh, Lord, um, I just thank you for all those who have um, worked so, so hard and taken so many risks so that we would have your word preserved for us. May we read it, study it, memorize it, talk about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.